was thinking, this, this is the series I was thinking, and I was thinking that time is of the essence. You know, I thought um, when Leon came to me with this title, he was quite brave of him to say, you know, just whatever you've been thinking about. Uh, it's quite a, quite a brave thing to ask me to do, really, say that and then give me a microphone. Uh, a few weeks ago, something really funny happened. I found it funny. And it was a conversation that I had with someone in church. Now, they probably don't even remember the conversation. But um, I was going to a fancy dress party, and uh, I ordered this Tinkerbell outfit uh, for this fancy dress party. And because I'm never at home, I, I had it ordered to the office, so that this Tinkerbell outfit came to the office, and uh, I went and I picked it up, and someone said to me, oh, what's that? I said, oh, it's my Tinkerbell outfit. And th- their response was, oh, is that for a talk? Now, it doesn't seem strange until you think that there are people in this room who wouldn't have been surprised if I'd have turned up this morning dressed as Tinkerbell. Um, Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, I couldn't think of any way to sort of weed in Tinkerbell this morning. So maybe if I'm asked again, at that point, you'll see me turned up dressed as a fairy. Um, But for this morning, uh, we're going to stick with talking about time being of the essence. I'm going to start by reading from Ecclesiastes. Um, couldn't really do a talk on time without using this passage. Um, it's probably one of the most well-known passages in the Bible regarding time, and it's in Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 to 8. And it says this, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. It says in Ecclesiastes 3 that there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. You know, um, our culture, uh, it's got this real awareness of time. We're always aware of the time. There's a, we, we, we strap time pieces to ourselves. We have time pieces in our pockets. Somewhere in your bedroom, I expect there's something that will tell you the exact time you went to sleep. And you'll set something so that you wake up at the exact time you're supposed to. We say that time is money, and of course it is to an extent. We're paid by what someone thinks that our time is worth. An hour of our time is worth that much, and so they'll give us money for it. And then we'll go to a shop, and we'll see a product, and it will have a price. And we'll say, well, it took me this much time to earn that money, so effectively that product is worth this much of my time. We look at time... um, something that we want to defeat. More than ever, people are kind of talking about Botox and plastic surgery, skincare, creams, Leon, all sorts of different things that we use to try to defeat time. We try to own it, try to rule it. But also we use time as a, uh, something to show us limits and boundaries, a period, almost like a, a demarcation, something to show that things have a start and things have an end. There was a start to this service, a time that that started, and you'll all be delighted to know that there will be an end to my talk. And there is a time allocated for that. Um, One of the things that I think really got me thinking about this was uh, last year, Andy and I got married, and uh, 
the guy at the wedding spoke about time. It was one of the things he talked about. And he used um, a passage from Acts. Acts 13, verse 36. Um, And this kind of got me thinking a lot about time. This is kind of a conversation I'm having with myself constantly. But it says in Acts 13, 36, For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. This idea that actually we have a start, we have a finish. We are given an appointed time to serve God's purposes in our generation. Yeah, that really, really strikes something in me. And I believe this morning, this is what uh, I kind of want to talk to a little bit, that this is our appointed time. This is our season. In the Bible, uh, there isn't really a general word for time. It's kind of a more common word. It's like it's kind of uh, a fixed time or like a season. So as it says in Acts, an appointed time, a season, particularly in the Old Testament. And uh, I believe that this is our time. This is our appointed season. This is your chosen time that God wants to place you on this planet to do his purposes. And what we've got is today. We don't know when our time ends, but we know we have today. We know we have now. That this is our chosen time. But I think the danger with time is that so often we can waste it. We can just watch time pass. We become so caught up in the minutes and in the hours and in the days that we forget the months and the years and the decades and the plans that God has for us in that time. We can waste time. We can do things and our our time can be taken up by things that in small amounts are fine. But we can just sit watching TV. We can sit on video. I love the TV, don't get me wrong. But we can sit playing video games, doing washing, things that the immediate, they seem important. But in the scale of the decades, God said, I have a chosen time for you. And so this morning, I want to look firstly at the importance of who we become in our time. Because what we do with our time, our season, our appointed chosen time matters to God. So firstly, who we become and secondly, what we do with that time. And it's in that order because I think so often who we become um, kind of dictates what we do. What we do will always come out of what's in our heart. And so it's really important to God what we do with those things. And uh, I think firstly, I want to look at what we can do as a church, what God calls us as a church, as the body of Christ to do with our season and our chosen time. And then secondly, what God calls you as an individual to in your chosen season and your chosen time. And I think all of this is inspired out of one place. All of this is inspired out of the fact that God, the God who created time, the God who is above time, beyond time, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, God who is in today, in tomorrow, still in yesterday, the Lord of time, decided to be captured by time and come to earth and die. And at that point, he invited us not just to be caught up in linear, measured time, But eternity collided with time now, and he invites us to get caught up in eternity. That's incredible. Absolutely amazing. The story of the cross and the story of the gospel is where this all begins. So, uh, are we okay to play a video clip? Enjoy. And so, everything we do in our appointed time, everything that we do in our season is a response to what God did first. I talked about, I believe, that we as a church, 
we as a body of Christ have a responsibility in our time, a responsibility in our chosen season. I want to read a, a Bible passage, and some of which actually is a Bible passage that Andy and I have inscribed on our wedding rings on the inside. So this, um, this verse kind of close to my heart. It's from 2 Corinthians 5 verses 11 to 21 and I believe that in this passage it tells us a lot of what God calls us to do as a church, as a body, as his body in our chosen season. It's 2 Corinthians 5 verses 11 to 21. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old's gone. The new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself and, um, in Christ and not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, and through God, we are making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I believe that there's two things that uh, God calls the church to do in their time and in their season. And first of all, I think it is to be reconciled to God ourselves. That God is saying, my intention is that everything is brought right back around to how it was meant to be. And that starts with you. That starts with your heart being reconciled to God on his journey. It says, I think in verse 12, um, uh, it's an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. So often we get caught up in taking pride in what is seen when God's saying, what I want is your heart reconciled to me and everything else will come from that. Second of all, the other thing that I believe that God is calling us to do is to join in this ministry of reconciliation. As it says in here that God is reconciling the world back to himself. That we are called to reconcile people, situations, this world to God. And as a church, as the body of Christ, are we doing that? In every conversation we have, the way we look at people, our Facebook statuses, the text messages we send, the emails we send when we're in a bad mood. Are we reconciling this world to God? And the problem is... That if you look at the cross, you see something very clear. That there's no reconciliation without some sort of cost. And in this, the cost falls to us. Reconciliation, sorry, it costs. And that's why God doesn't make us do this. He doesn't say, you have to do this and if you don't. He said, this is your choice. 
I've given you a time. I've given you a season. This is your choice, what you choose to do with it. Because we will need to pay the cost. Often bringing other people back around to know God, um, it, it can involve massive things. It can involve standing on a stage in front of thousands of people becoming Christians, or it can be holding someone's hand while they cry. It can be in the little tiny movements of the kingdom that have significant eternal vibrations, or it can be in things that are seen. But God says it's about the heart. You know, reconciling people, it costs. It involves spending time. It might be that uh, we have to give a lot emotionally, give financially. It might be draining. It might be frustrating. It might be annoying. But God says reconciliation costs. And I have called my church to bring my people back around to me. A little while ago, uh, Andy, my husband, and uh, I, we were at Spring Harvest. And we together um, jointly headed up the uh, 11-14s venue at Minehead. And uh, there was one particular morning, and I was given the role of producer, uh, which basically means I stood at the back of the venue, watched everything, felt important, and made sure that nothing goes wrong. So I'm stood at the back of the venue, and I'm watching, and uh, all of a sudden, this little, tiny, 11-year-old girl, she just runs past me, shoots past me, and collapses on the floor at the back of the venue. Now, if you're, you're a parent and your children are in my care, this doesn't normally happen, you're okay. But on this occasion, this little girl just collapses. And I saw her run out the corner of my eye and I thought, technically I'm doing something very important. I don't need to spend my time on this. I could delegate. I looked around and you know that colour that someone's face goes when you know there's only one result in this situation. That greeny grey sort of colour that you know this is only going to end in vomit. So... I look at this girl on the floor and I thought, this really doesn't need to be my responsibility. No, Laura, servant-hearted, come on now, lead by example. So uh, I went up to this little girl and I was like, are you okay? And she just massive eyes, like looked at me shaking. I was like, okay, this isn't good. Um, So I got her, I took her outside and we sat on the floor together. And uh, I got her name out of her, I got her a drink. I asked if she was okay, clearly she wasn't. And uh, I... (laughs) I said, okay, so what is it that you've been eating that's made you feel sick? And she started to explain it to me. And as she started to explain, I experienced it full hand, like first hand, it was lovely. She was so small and there was so much sick. And uh, she threw up and it went over her trousers, her feet. We were both sitting in it on the floor. I got it on my trousers, my shoes. And if I'm honest, a lot of it hit me in the face. It was horrible. It turned out, if any of you were interested, it was largely pink fruit that she'd been eating. So it's kind of a sticky, sweet, lumpy substance. And uh, as I was sat there in her sick, just dripping and smelling, I thought, you know what? This was always how it was going to end. I knew from the moment that I approached that girl that I was going to end up a mess. And I chose that when I chose to get involved. At the end, when I'm stood there covered in sick, I shouldn't be surprised at that point. I knew that it was going to cost me. And God said to us, says to us, you're standing on the edge of a world that's a mess. It's up to you whether you get involved or not. I'll give you that choice. But don't be surprised when you end up covered in sick. With reconciliation, there's always a cost. And so, we are that body. We are one body, the body of Christ. But it says in Corinthians, as well as this message of reconciliation, that each person has, is a part. There's 
arms and legs and noses. I can see some ears. There's all sorts of different things in the body of Christ that we are called to be as individuals. And I, I think for the, just for a second, I want to talk about that individual call that God has put on your life, in your time and in your season, what God is calling you to do. I love watching people, not in a weird way, like no one needs to get a restraining order or anything, it's fine. I just really enjoy studying people. I enjoy looking at what people are good at. I like looking at people's gifts and what their experiences are, where God's placed them, the dreams and determinations and passions that God puts in people's hearts. Because I do believe we're all unique. You hear it as a teenager quite a lot, I think, from youth workers. But, you know, God has given us unique qualities. God has given us unique passions and gifts and dreams. And some people's dreams, it might just be really small. That it seems small that you want to feed someone who's homeless. One, just one person, you want to give them some food. For other people, it might be that God has really put on your heart that you want to cancel out world debt. And that's great. God calls us all to different things, but do you know what? All of them echo in eternity. And the shame is that I think that this is the flame that's easiest to extinguish in our hearts. When we're all in it together, we're all on the reconciliation train. It's much easier to stay motivated. It's really hard when it's your dream and your passion. And it feels like somewhere along the line, you gave up on your time. And you gave up on your season. And you got tired and something somewhere went wrong. I've been reading a book uh, which talks about some of the reasons that people might give up on their kind of their individual sort of calling. And uh, one of the reasons it talked about was a lack of faith in God. Not lack of faith, but more loss of faith. This kind of idea that God can't do that through me. God can't do that. This is my dream. And God, I can't do that. God can't use me for that. God can do anything. It's maybe a belief that God wouldn't want you to be quite that happy if that dream succeeded. This real wrestle with, can God do this? My time, I haven't got enough time, I haven't got enough finance, but God says, I've put things in your heart for a reason. Another reason um, is to do with being comfortable that it talked about. It, it said, you know, sometimes we just let life pass us by. Sometimes, like I said before, we get so caught up in the minutes and the hours and, and the washing and the food shopping and the sorting other people out that we don't focus on the decades and the years and what God wants us to achieve over a long period of time. That we get comfortable and before we know it, that flame, although it wasn't intentional, just sort of died out. Another reason uh, that it talks about is maybe something went wrong in your story. That you had a dream, you had a passion, but something went wrong along the way. Something just blew that flame out for you. Something discouraged you. You came up against some sort of barrier that you couldn't get through. And somewhere you, you gave up on that dream. You gave up on that call of what you really want your season to be for. And it might be that you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm too young. Well, I'm too old. Well, I'm just too busy. This is your time and your season. And the incredible thing about God is, yes, he's the God of time, but he's not just the God of the first time, but the time, God of the second time, and the third time, and the fourth time. And when we've given up, and things have gone wrong, God said, I am the Lord of time. Don't give up yet, because you are never more alive than when you are following your calling from God, whether that be as a church or whether that be as an individual. I think one of the things we struggle with then is like, okay, great, that's lovely. What, what do I do now? Um, I think often, pe 
people will judge what they're meant to do with their time, their season, by a clock. I'll say, well, by the time I was 18, I wanted to achieve this. By the time I was in my mid-20s, I wanted to have settled down and done this. And we have this time that we plot out our life, and we wanted to have this done by this stage. I wanted to change the world by the time I was 33, just like Jesus. And we have this time span that we set out, and uh, if we don't achieve it, we get really disheartened, or we start to panic, or we think things are too late, or we're too young. But I believe that we're not just supposed to measure our life by a linear clock, but instead it's more like this idea of a compass. And uh, if you look at people in the Bible like Abraham, or I guess Jesus had an advantage being part God, but he counts, Jesus, by the time he was 33, he had changed history. If you look at Abraham, by the time he was really, really old, he had his first child. God doesn't always work by the clock. And so we have this compass, this sort of facing north scenario, where God says, I'm pulling you towards this. Don't worry too much about the time. I'm pulling you in the direction I want you to be in my time. But the danger is that we grasp to the clock or we grasp to this compass and rely on one of those things. A little while ago, I worked in Greece just for like three months. And uh, I did some youth work out there. And um, whoever arranged it really didn't know me very well. They, They thought, I know, I'll teach her to sail, put her in a boat and put her with young people. Great. So uh, I learned to sail of a fashion. I managed to keep people in the boat most of the time anyway. We didn't necessarily go that far. But uh, I would just sail around to my little boat. And uh, on the day off, we were allowed to do whatever we wanted. So me and my friend Ruth were like, right, day off. Let's find the biggest boat we can and sail it. I say sail it. I, I can't if any of you ask me any technical terms. No ideas. So I f- saw this really big like, catamaran thing, which is um, too like bottoms of a boat in a row. See, I told you I'm not very technical. And uh, <laughs> you know, you're kind of gauging my sailing ability from, uh, from the way I'm talking about it. So me and Ruth thought, great, let's do it. This will be so much fun. Now, someone on shore thought that we'd been trained how to use it. And we were pretty sure that we didn't need any training. So we got in this catamaran and we went out and it was actually going fairly well until we got to Windy Corner. Now, at Windy Corner... I was operating the sails with a rope, so I was like pulling the sails like this, and my friend Ruth was on the little rudder thing at the back steering it, and uh, there was a severe lack of communication, and Ruth decided to turn. I wasn't really paying any attention, which may not surprise some of you, and uh, I just sat there holding my rope, looking around, thinking how beautiful it all was, and the boat capsized, and it turned upside down, and I ended up, oh dear, I ended up hanging from the ropes of the boat in midair, like this. And my friend Ruth, bless her heart, she ended with her leg trapped in this, like, foot strap, dangling upside down, like this, in midair as well. And this boat had to come out and, like, brought a knife to cut us out. It's all very dramatic. And we got back to shore. At this point, they realized that we'd had no training in how to sail one of these boats. And uh, they were like, so what exactly did you do? I was like, well, I had the rope like this, and she had the stick to steer it like this. They're like, right, there's your first problem. The way that you're supposed to operate these boats is that one person is in charge of both of these things so that they can compensate for each other. You turn, you pull the rope. You turn, you let go of the rope. And so... One person is supposed to hold these things in tension because if you go nuts on one side or pull too far on the other side, the whole thing 
gets flipped around and everyone, to be honest, is in a mess. And I believe that God wants us to hold on to this compass with one hand, hold on to the time with the other and be pulling it in synchronization with each other. You see, we begin to understand at that point that God has called you to where you are now, but there are things that you can do in the season that you're in in your life that you will never be able to do again. If you're in school, the amount of people that I hear in school or college that say, well, yeah, God's put this calling on my life, so when I'm older, I'm going to do this. It doesn't work like that. God has called you to now. You see, when you're at school or at college, you will be in contact, living alongside more people that don't know God than you ever will be at any other point. That is such an opportunity. This whole idea of reconciliation, bringing the world back around, You have such a privilege, and I know sounding like school and college is a privilege doesn't quite match, but honestly, the people that you're in contact with, if you're older, earlier born in years, then you will have wisdom, you will have experience. If you're retired, you might even have time. And do you know what? There are teenagers, there are people in their 20s, there are people in their 30s who are desperate for mentors, desperate for people to get alongside them and explain what all this is about. Maybe your experience is relevant to some of their experience. Maybe the stuff that you can invest in, really start giving to now that you wouldn't have been able to 30 years ago. If you're single or married without children, you might not feel like it, but you have time now. Time to be out there with people doing stuff that you might not have when you had kids. If you've got kids, that's a whole other culture that opens up to you that I could never at my point in life plug into. If we're holding on to the clock and the compass, we understand that there are things that we can be doing now with our calling in our time that are really ripe for this season. That You've not got to wait until you're ready, wait until you're more experienced, wait until you're a better Christian. That God is calling us now. I just want to finish um, with one, one story really. Um, a few weeks ago, Andy and I were in Liverpool and uh, we go there quite a lot and we, we went to uh, this museum in Liverpool. Might have been the Liverpool Museum. I really have no idea. But we went there and we were walking around and uh, there's like different floors with d- different like stuff on. When I say stuff, it's impressive things. It's not just junk. It's like stuff about DNA, stuff about dinosaurs. And we were going up this building. And one of the last floors we got to was to do with culture. And there was displays with things in boxes from like Egyptians and Romans and Vikings. And we were walking around looking at this stuff. And God really, really spoke to me very clearly. The things that were in those boxes were what was left of their time. I was walking around looking in these boxes and it represented their culture. As you walked around the sort of Egyptian display, there was... um, obviously stuff mummified, uh, gold that they were putting for themselves. There was obviously a really high regard for gods and for wealth. As you walked around um, the Roman and kind of Grecian part, there was stuff for war. And as as you looked at them, you thought, this is what your culture was about, isn't it? This is what's left. This is your legacy. And God said to me, you know, one day we're going to have a little walk around and we're going to look and we're going to have a little display case of what's left of your time, what remains of your chosen season, the appointed time where I put you on earth with your individual calling to reconcile this world to me. What is it that you want to see in that box? 
Do you want to see the fact that you had a great wardrobe, like loads of clothes, shoes? Do you want all your washing to be done and that be in your box? Do you want to have a big house in your box? That you achieved all these medals and trophies on Xbox and PS3? Or do you want changed lives? Do you want to see the kingdom of God? Do you want to see that gift that I gave to you, that gifting in that box, and to say, yes, well done. That is what I called for you to do in your season. You've been given this time. This is your chosen and appointed time. The question is, what do you want your legacy to be from that time? Um, If the band could come back up, that would be great. Thank you. What um, I think we're going to do... Is the band are going to um, sing sort of a final song, really, over you? And um, I've talked quite a lot about God calling us, I guess, in our season and in our time. And the thing about a call is that it usually requires some sort of response. So what I'd like you to do is just maybe to sit and pray as these guys sort of sing and play over you. Maybe pray into that legacy. Pray into maybe a calling on your life that you have let die. Maybe it's even finding out what that that calling is. Or maybe it's how do you, in your time now, really reconcile this world and your heart to God? And as you start to think about your legacy, as you start to think about what do I want my season to mean, then if you want to respond to that, I just ask you to stand up. And it isn't for us to see anything, but it's it's a response to a call from God. You know, uh, in, in Luke, it talks about something happened in, Elisha, in Elijah's time. Looking back, you know when that happened in Elijah's time? At a wedding, I'll never forget, the guy who gave the talk said, what if in 200, 300, if the world's still around, a thousand years, they look back and go, do you remember what happened in Jane's time? Do you remember what happened in Louise's time, in Steve's time? The way that the earth changed in Hannah's time. This is our time. And we know that we have today. And so I just really ask you guys to seek God and pray. What is it that's in today that God's calling you to? Lord God, I pray that as we leave here this morning, that that you would not leave these thoughts and dreams in this building. God, I pray that like Velcro, they stick to us, God, that they might be carried with us throughout this week, throughout the next days, months, years. God, let us pray into this. Father God, I pray that you would help us to dream big dreams. Yes. Father, I pray that you would give us faith and hope and love to believe and know that you can see dreams through. Father God, I pray that as we go out this week, you would help us to keep our eyes and our ears open to the opportunities and the doors that you open to help us fulfill the things that you've got for us. Jesus, above all, I pray that we will not miss a moment. We not miss a thing. Jesus, change our hearts that what we might do might impact eternity. Let us live with our legacy in mind. Amen.